heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will also distribute your podcast so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more podcast platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Another Monday. It's a chaotic Monday. I picked a perfect time to record episode 44 of YWC Football Talk. And my guest today is a very special guest from Sportsnet, noted Cleveland Browns fan, Andy McNamara, and also to fantasy expert, Andy, man, we got a lot to talk about today. Boy, man, holy, this, uh, well, it, it is a perfect time to record. We have Will Fuller just suspended six games for PED use. We have waiver wires coming up for week 13 in fantasy football. The Ravens-Steelers game maybe gets played Wednesday. Who knows? It was supposed to be played four other times. It's, it's absolutely nuts. It just, it just a craziness of the world. Like, this morning was, oh, hey, the game may or may not get pushed back, and then it's, as we get later in the day, it was, oh, the game's now Wednesday. Now we're getting the report in that Washington versus Pittsburgh is now Monday night when the Ravens-Cowboys is going to be there. Like, we may see a game at 2 o'clock, at 5 o'clock, and at 8 o'clock. And that's the other thing, too. We've got a team from California now playing in a rival stadium in Arizona for their next two home games. This is just a crazy couple of days in the NFL. Well, yeah. And, and that's, that's the problem is... You have teams following protocol, like the Steelers, and teams that are reckless and careless and have a guy, uh, a strength coach, whatever, walking around without a mask on, causing everybody to get infected, and the teams that's following the rules gets hosed just as bad. It's it's absolutely crazy. It's, it's nuts. Um, there's no consistency in the NFL. You have the Denver Broncos play with a guy, I don't know if you heard this, Kendall Hinton, two months ago, was at a sales job. He was working in sales, got called to be the wide receiver on their practice squad, then playing quarterback. So imagine where he worked. They're sitting around watching TV, and they're like, wait, wait, is that Kendall from sales? What? He's, <laughs> he's throwing the ball for the, the Broncos? Ridiculous. Either make everybody, you if you're the NFL, you expanded the practice squads for a reason. It was to deal with cases like this. If you cannot control yourself, you suffer the consequences. The 49ers had to suffer versus the Packers. The Broncos had to suffer it. Why the Ravens? Why do the Ravens and Titans get special treatment? It makes no sense to me. It doesn't either, but also, too, for that Broncos um, No, they actually just signed former Chiefs quarterback Kyle Shermer, whose father, Pat, happens to be the Broncos' offensive right. coordinator. So... This, like, I literally have to have, like, Adam Schefter's Twitter open on my phone and have you talking just because, like, news is breaking left and right about this whole thing. Like I said, it's just a complete oh, yeah. circus right now. Yeah, like, it is, you, like, keep pressing refresh all the time. Like, that's that's where we're at. Chef D, Rappaport, all, all, all of them. It's, it's coming out at, at a fever pitch. And, and now, like, to look straight ahead, get back to the Will Fuller thing for a sec, all of a sudden to me, I'm writing my uh, Tuesday... Uh, fantasy sports waiver wire pickup article for sportsnet.ca comes out every Tuesday. The sleeper one comes out Saturdays. And I was, you know, I had like two more players to go. I'm like, well, guess I'm pick, I'm putting in Kiki QT now for, <laughs> for the Texans because they released Kenny Stills. Fuller's gone. Um, I think that is a, a terrific pickup for people. And QT is available in 99% 
of Yahoo and ESPN League. So, hey, Deshaun Watson's got to sling it to somebody, man, and, and QT's been... Uh, has popped a couple times over the last two years. And that's the other thing, too. Also, uh, Randall Cobb, I believe, was out for that game on uh, on Thursday and going forward that's as great. well. So if you need a wide receiver, guys, because we're coming down to the deadline in fantasy, so like there's a time when people are scrambling to pick people up, go get QT. But, um, man, between you and I, Andy, because I don't know if I told you this, I'm actually, I cheer for the vaunted Patriots. Um, oh, there you go. And... <laughs> Man, yesterday was, for both of our teams, it was ugly, but, man, I got to hand it to you. For the first time, I think, since I was eight years old, the Cleveland Browns are going to finish with a 500 record on the year. So, I I don't know what it feels like to be a fan of a team like that, but, man, it must feel really good for you. It feels very strange. I'm not, like, I'm not sad on Sunday afternoons, which is weird. You know, I'm like, what's this, what's my face doing? It's it's smiling. What What is that? This is... This is different. Yeah, first time since 2007 that they will not finish with a losing record. And this will be only be the third time since 1999 when they returned as an expansion team after those Ravens stole, like thieves in the night, stole the franchise. Uh, the, only, the third time that they'll finish with a winning record since 99, which is uh, incredible. Exactly, and also too, I was just trying to figure out the stats. I saw it from uh, Andrew Siciliano of the NFL Network. I think it was 2002. He said so. If I got the numbers wrong, I do apologize because I thought it was 2002 was the last time they finished above 500. But if it was 2000, they made the playoffs in 2000. So the only time they made the playoffs is 2002. The last time um, that was the first time they finished above 500, and the only other time they finished above 500 was 2007 at 10 and six. But they didn't make the playoffs based on tiebreakers. Oh, okay, okay, I understand. So in that case, um, oh, it's a brown. It's uh, twelve straight losing seasons, is what I saw. Excuse me. Um, I was yeah. not eight years old in the year two thousand seven. I was actually in my first year of high school. I was in the ninth grade the last time in two thousand seven. Oh, wow. Then, so it's still it, it's still been a while. I'm twenty. I'm gonna be twenty seven in a few weeks. So it's been a while. I was like I was thirteen. Oh man! Yeah. Wow. But, wow. But, it's, it's been a while. The team looks good. Um, you know the defense is really banged up. They're supposed to get Miles Garrett back. Uh, Miles Garrett back uh, Wednesday from the COVID list. Uh, fullback Andy Janovich as well. Uh, they will be without Denzel Ward, Pro Bowl cornerback again. And so it's just like it's sort of like everybody else, just sort of patchwork. Titans is going to be a tough game, but the rest of the way you got the Ravens, who who knows if that game gets played on time or not. At this case, who who knows? Then you have the Giants, the Jets, and the Steelers. So out of those. Those remaining games, you should be looking to win at least uh, two or three of those of the last five. Exactly. And even, um, what was I going to say, too? I feel like this Sunday's game for both teams is a test. And, like, for everyone's saying, only time, because, look, the Titans have had a lot for as monstrous as Derrick Henry was, and I thank you for winning me fantasy. <laughs> Literally, this game Sunday is going to be a test for both teams to see really how far both can go in the playoffs. Because for as both eight and three teams... They've had a couple, but both teams have had their hiccups along the way, and this is that perfect. Mm -hmm. This is a perfect game for the fan who's not a fan of the Titans and the Browns, and even for Browns fans like yourself or Titans fans to see really how far these teams could potentially go in January. Because I think both teams will be there in January. Yeah, well, I think we're going to see uh, a very similar offensive game plans. Right, they're both built around the run. They both have stud running backs. And the Browns' defense is further behind as far as just injuries and development. Um, but the Titans have been smoked a couple times this year, too, right? Like you said. So, yeah, I'm with you. I think this is a, a interesting um, litmus test at this point in the year. 
not a must win for either team but hey you know what it's it's an AFC matchup so if things do come down to tiebreakers you know it goes division and then it goes conference so it's it is an important game um we'll we'll see who the better running back is potentially and we'll see which coach stays disciplined and keeps with the run exactly because the other thing I want to know too is that I honestly would say this Miles Garrett I believe is a top three defensive player of the year candidate this year I know he's missed the last couple games but Man, for someone who had an unfortunate end of 2019, we all know the situation with the helmet swing. But for him just to come back and just wreak havoc, and also to on the new contract, just speaks wonders. And also for Jarvis Landry to finally have that like breakout game, I feel like he's just getting over his hip injury. The Browns are clicking at the right time, and you know what? Look at what Tennessee did last year. Clicked at the right time, and they were a half away from making it to the Super Bowl. So I, I don't know if the Browns yeah. will get that far, but look, I like to say this motto now, any given Sunday. Any given Sunday, you're right. You're right. And if you get if you get going, um, there's still the development of Baker Mayfield. Remember, this is another new offense. This is third year in the league and fourth different offensive coordinator. That doesn't lend itself to success. So he's still growing. He's still learning. How does that develop along the way as well? Is going to be interesting to follow. So no, it'll, it'll be a big. AFC matchup, and we'll have to see if it's if it's close. Um, how the passing game gets worked in. Don't know what the weather's supposed to be like yet. Hopefully, it's favorable, so at least we can maybe see a little, little bit of variety. And, and just how these two coaches and Kevin Stefanski, rookie head coach, handles a game where, boy, if you win, you're nine and three. That is rare air for us Browns fans. Exactly, exactly. Because um, also, I just want to double check though, because the, is the game in Cleveland or is it in uh, Tennessee? That's one thing. Uh, I was just in in Tennessee. Oh, in Tennessee. Okay, okay. And I was just because when you said the weather comment, I thought for a second maybe it's in Cleveland, just because you never know with the elements. Because like, yeah, you and I both were both Toronto boys. I look out my window right now; it's currently pouring rain, so that could play a factor. But Nashville's that kind of weird weather, so like, yeah. But also, too, one other thing I wanted to point out to you about this week, besides Titans Browns, only the Rams and the Cardinals features a game where both teams are above five hundred. And if I'm the NFL. Yeah. Move one of those games into Sunday Night Football because I'd rather watch one of those two one of those two matchups rather than the Chiefs whooping the uh, Denver Broncos. Oh, 100 percent, hundred percent, and and for the Broncos, you, you look at that game like uh, Vic Fangio, their head coach, was saying they might discipline the quarterbacks further. So you might have to, I, I I would think they're not going to discipline all four of them. <laughs> They'll probably have somebody a little more qualified to play. But, like, what if he decides to send a message and benches Drew Locke? You know, I, well, what, what does that game look like? I'm with you. Yeah, put one of these games in primetime. Come on. Yeah, like, I, like I saw that. I was just like, good Lord. I'm like, this is not a good sign. Like, this is not a good week. And also, too, because there's just all the chaos that's brewing within the NFL right now where it's like, oh, like, I literally have to just scroll through Schefter's thing just to see, like, oh, what's going on in the league right now? And it seems like we're kind of in the clear for now. But with all these moving parts, it's just... Man, it's interesting. But um, one other thing I want to ask you about is, besides QT, who else do you see for uh, sleepers for this coming week? Well, I think if, if you, and it's whether you want to call it a sleeper or just someone readily available on the waiver wire, I think if you're streaming a quarterback this week, um, Tua is out for Miami for at least this week, maybe more. Dust off the wand, man. We're getting Fitz magic back, baby. We're getting the Fitz. Ryan Fitzpatrick against the Cincinnati Bengals in Miami. Let's go. 80% availability for Fitzpatrick. And here's the thing. Two is the future of the Dolphins, or at least they hope he is. But from a fantasy perspective, owners are better with Fitzpatrick in there. Because you can stream Fitzpatrick himself, 
but it also raises the fantasy value of Devontae Parker and Mike Gesicki. So you have those guys with a consistent producer. Fitzpatrick can use his legs too. To, can he put up duds? Of course he can. It's That's why he's not a consistent starter. But you're playing the Bengals. I, I'm looking Ryan Fitzpatrick minimum 19 fantasy points, and we've seen him pop for 25, 30 before, right? Like, that's, that's I think, is a, a real um, smash opportunity if you're streaming, if you're going DraftKings and you want to get somebody in your lineup uh, there who's not going to be a top-value guy but could have top-value production. I think Ryan Fitzpatrick makes a lot of sense. You know what? Exactly, too. And like you said, they're playing uh, Cincinnati, so it makes all the sense in the world because Cincinnati, even though they almost beat the uh, Giants uh, yesterday, it was one of those games where it was still luck. Miami's gonna uh, with the with the Cincinnati Bengals. They can play spoiler, but at the end of the day, I still feel like Miami's gonna know how to handle business because their four games to finish off the year are not easy at all with Kansas City, New England, Vegas, and Buffalo. Yeah, and they're right in the uh, uh, in the wild card hunt. So it, I, I'm interested. Like, let's say, and Miami should win this game. So let's say Miami wins this game. They they have eight wins. Okay, now. You look at it, let's say Tua is ready to come back next week. Does Brian Flores, the head coach of the Dolphins, say the development of Tua with the possibility of sacrificing a playoff berth trump going with the veteran and getting into the postseason and giving your team playoff experience and really setting that bar? I wonder how that would play out. That'll be interesting. It's you know what this time of year is always interesting because like look it's like close to Christmas but then also too for like football fans it's like that now's that really grind it down time where we kind of separate the contenders from the pretenders we know like who's gonna be there from both conferences even though I feel like the NFC is wide open but at the end of the day this wild card hunt for both conferences it's gonna be a fantastic finish. Oh yeah, I love the extra wild card spot. I love that they took away the second buy, and it's only the first one because right now what it does is the last couple weeks of the season creates much more competitive balance. You have more teams going after that final wild card spot for a longer period of time, and you have the upper tier teams fighting longer and less likely to bench anybody in the final couple weeks because you want that top seed to get the buy. So I, I think from a competitive standpoint, it is really good and can add a lot more intrigue and storyline for both conferences. Exactly, exactly, and um, like I said, December is just a fun. It's, December's a fun time of year for multiple reasons, and then you slowly get the depression of like, oh crap, the season's almost over. Um, but just I wanted to talk yesterday. Not every game, obviously, just because you and I have a short window. But if there was a couple of games yesterday you wanted to dissect quickly, which ones would they be and why? Besides well, the Browns, obviously. Yeah, well, I think I think the one to take a look at was that terrible. Um, just quick, we don't. There's not too much to dissect on it. Unfortunately, is that Saints Broncos game where it was just a joke. Like NFL's the best football players in the world, and you didn't put that product up there. So that's why it confuses me again. You have that yet you're giving the Ravens chance after chance, and apparently Lamar Jackson, if he tests negative over the next today and tomorrow, could still play. Like, doesn't that stink of conspiracy, or or just even if it's not, just unfair advantage? If you were to move the Broncos game back a couple of days, they could have had a quarterback. Like, it doesn't seem fair to me. So that one drives me nuts. Um, when you look at other matchups, I think the Chiefs-Buccaneers uh, game was was interesting because I wanted to see how Tom Brady sort of came back after that um, dud the week before. We're seeing Tom Brady again, another couple interceptions. <sighs> Boy, like, where where is this team at? What is at 7-5? and five? What are... The Tampa Bay Buccaneers 
under Tom Brady. And that storyline is going to be one to follow because you lost that head-to-head matchup. And, and now when you look at it, you're firmly in second. The Saints got that gimme against the Broncos. Um, Falcons aren't catching you. But now you look wild, like they're going to get a wild-card spot because of how horrible the NFC East is. And um, outside of the uh, uh, top couple other teams in the South and the um, West, you know, no, no one's really going to challenge them. But what is that Tampa Bay team? That's that's something I don't know. And I, I'm pretty sure they don't know what they are. Exactly, and also too, like I'm trying to answer the questions of, hey, will Bruce Arians have a job there next year? Because if Brady, like we all know, Brady was the one who was responsible for bringing in Antonio Brown, but he can honestly go into management's office or even the ownership's office, the Glazer family, the ones who signed the checks, and say, I want my own head coach because we obviously know what Arians does and what Brady does are two totally different things. Even though the talent around Brady is meant just, hey, sling it and go. If this was ten years ago, Mm -hmm. I think we have. Tom Brady probably only losing maybe one or two games at this point. Like they're like a nine and two or even ten and one football team. But the fact that he's older and he's not able to chuck it downfield as much kind of raises those questions of could he lure a let's say Josh McDaniels away from New England to come coach him in Tampa? I think oh, there's a good chance. That's interesting. It's just something yeah, I thought of. And when you look at it, it's like okay. And if you're ownership and you see Tom Brady's year, uh, he's had the most talent he's had. Ever around him, just name value. Um, for the the ownership group, you're thinking, okay, well, do we think we want Bruce Arians in charge? Like, if, if you have a plan next three years, is Bruce Arians more likely to be more useful to you or Tom Brady with a declining skill set? It also depends, I think, where they see him and the future of their quarterback situation because I, I would have to think you'd at least have to be thinking about drafting or, or getting somebody else behind Tom Brady to sort of learn in case the wheels fall off at some point. Oh, exactly. But also, the only reason I was bringing up the Arians thing was because if Brady's still there next year, people aren't going to buy box tickets because I do. I hopefully assume that by this time next year that the NFL stadiums everywhere are full. Hopefully you're oh, able hopefully. to make it that back down to Cleveland. Hopefully I'm able yes. to make it to Foxborough finally for a game. Um the one thing I was saying, though, is with the full stadium thing, people are going to want to pay tickets to see Tom Brady. They're not paying to see mm-hmm. Bruce Arians coach. Um, yep. The only other spins I want to have is maybe they agree to keep Arians, but I wouldn't be shocked if Byron left, which is a sacrificial lamb, and then Brady kind of goes Ooh. out and grabs an off, off, offensive coach that he wants. Yeah, that could be. Yeah. That, that could certainly be. And, and the argument can be made as well from you know both sides. Look, it was a COVID year, new system. Uh, Tom Brady's a timing guy. Needs timing. You're adding in Antonio Brown. You're having also Mike Evans and Chris Godwin injured for the majority of the first half of that season. How does that play it? Need to get your timing down so maybe a full extra off proper offseason, fingers crossed, goes down. And you're able to do that. And it's a different Tom Brady, but he's also a year older. That's, that's the balancing act. Um, I think tracking what they do at, at quarterback is going to be very interesting because, you know, the, the, the future at QB is not on that team right now. Oh, one, 100%, but it was just one. There's just a couple things I thought about with that team. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Um, but you know what? Um, the only other things i got to say quickly is just, like I said, Andy, I know like our time here was short, but it was great to get to talk to you, man. Hopefully you and I can work something out where you come back on again later on in the season, maybe right around when fantasy playoffs kick off. But 
it was an absolute blast to have you on, even for the short time. I'm glad you're happy as a Browns fan now at 8-3, and three, and <laughs> it's Victory Monday for the two of us. But anyway, man, it was an absolute blast. Uh, you can check out Andy's uh, social media. Before we uh, go, Andy, just I want you just to give your information away to anyone listening, where they can find you on uh, social media and where they can listen to you on uh, and read you on Sportsnet's multiple media platforms. Absolutely. Well, thank you. And, and, and hey, anytime you want, happy to come on. Hopefully by uh, you know the, the December time, uh, Browns record will be even better. Nice solidified playoff spot. That'd be great. Uh, but yeah, you can you can find my work on Twitter. I post all the links there at andymc81. Instagram at andymcsports on sportsnet.ca. Got the Tuesday and Saturday weekly fantasy football articles, the daily fantasy minutes, which you can hear on the radio side um, across the Sportsnet radio network. So in Toronto. Sportsnet 590, the fan, and then the social media videos of that. So pretty much all over. And then Sunday mornings, of course, you got 8 to 10 a.m., the fantasy football show, the fantasy show, and then uh, fantasy football live on the Sportsnet YouTube and Facebook live channels um, heading up to kickoff at 11 a.m. So pretty much you want fantasy football? Just just stay tuned. It's all good. All right. Well, anyway, Andy, like I said before, it was an absolute blast to get to talk to you. And hopefully the next time you're on here, um, your Browns have a little X next to their name. Oh. Wouldn't that be nice? Well, thank you so much, Rick. No problem. Thank you, you so much. You have a good night. It was great talking to you, and we'll have you back on anytime soon. All right, terrific, man. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thank you once again to Andy McNamara of Rogers Sports. And be sure to give him a follow and check out all of his content as he knows a lot about fantasy football and his beloved Cleveland Browns. Well, anyway, guys. Now on to an even better conversation. Not that the one that with Andy wasn't good or anything, because it was great. But you know what? Up next, I have Ryan Spagnoli of Pat's Pulpit of SB Nation. On also, too, he does co-host the Pat's Nation podcast with Pat Lane. Him and I recap yesterday's Patriots win over the Arizona Cardinals. We look ahead to the upcoming LA road trip and the rest of the season. And also, too, we look ahead to what the 2021 offseason is going to look like. Obviously, I know this is the 2020 season, but the offseason, all of it is taking place in the year 2021, so that's why I said it. Well, anyway, guys, on to my conversation with Ryan. All right, and we're back, guys. Um, now I'm going to shift it to my favorite team, the New England Patriots, and a lot of people are saying, oh, that's an ugly win. But Cam Newton coined the phrase the best, I'd rather win ugly than lose pretty. And who better to talk that ugly win with than from... SB Nation's Pat's Pulpit, the other half of the Pat Nation uh, podcast. You've heard Pat Lane on here before, but now I've got Ryan Spagnoli on here to talk Pat's, otherwise known as Spags. Welcome to the show, man. How are we feeling? Good, man. Good, good. Uh, thanks for having me. Obviously, you took the Pat a couple times. I'm glad, uh, glad I get to go on, and we'll definitely have to link up for us three for sure. Oh, for sure, 100%. But going into this week, I, I was the same as Baltimore, where I'm like, you know what? I don't think like, we have no business winning this game. Like I usually text a buddy every uh, Sunday saying, "Well, I think the score is going to be." I thought we were going to win. I actually had it twenty-one to seventeen, New England, and I said, "I'm not confident in that at all." And when we went down ten nothing, I'm like, "Oh Christ, this is a long day." And then our defense came to life for once. So I, I, like, I know we played great against Baltimore, but I think that was probably the best defense the New England Patriots have played this year against a good team. Yeah, for sure, and and it's funny you say that too. Like Baltimore, the whole day, uh, kind of just had you just get a feeling, right, that they're just somehow going to string it together and play really well. I I didn't think they'd win that game, but I also had a weird feeling that they'd be able to pull something out, um, and they were able to. Obviously, that was a great um, game plan for Belichick, specifically defensively. Uh, and then last week, 
um, versus Houston. I just, I didn't feel good. It was like people kind of knocking it as an automatic win. I thought their, you know, their record didn't necessarily represent them as a team. Houston's got a lot of speed, um, can certainly get to the to get to the quarterback, uh, and they did a good job with that. I didn't feel good about that. And then going into this week, I wrote a, I read a, you know, keys to the game, kind of a game preview every Sunday. I actually predicted the Patriots to win, similar to you, twenty-seven to twenty-one. I just had a weird feeling they were going to be able to kind of pull something out. Um, you know, like you said, got down early, obviously the interception on the third play from Cam. Then they go down and punch seven right in you. Uh, they couldn't move the ball. Then it's 10 nothing. It kind of halfway through the first quarter, you kind of got those San Francisco vibes where they were just going to come in and pound the ball down your throat. Uh, but unbelievable job by the Patriots front seven. I thought Adam Butler had probably his best game as a pro. Kyle Duggar, who kind of mirrored shied a little bit of Kyler Murray did a great job against the run Josh Uche Chase Winovich they had a great plan for Kyler Murray made things super difficult for him I, I say all the time I think he's the best player in space in the NFL right now he can just beat you in so many ways you give him just a little bit of room he's so athletic and so quick that he could turn nothing into into a 15 20 yard gain and then obviously uh he's improved mightily as a passer super accurate they were able to make life difficult for him. That was probably his worst game of the year. Um, and he, you know, certainly in the MVP talk going into last week, at least top three. Uh, and they made him, you know, he, he didn't know what was coming out of it. No, exactly. And even too, I know he had some catches in space, but for a player I thought that was going to be explosive, man, DeAndre Hopkins did not do a whole lot yesterday. And I hit the credit that to Stephon Gilmore. I saw his stats, even though he's missed, uh, he actually didn't miss any games with COVID, but he missed the games with that knee injury, the, I believe, the three games against uh, Buffalo, the Jets, and then the um, Baltimore game. But, man, even he, like, he's playing good. Just an overall great game. And even, too, just some simple stuff as, like, literally that goal line stand right before halftime. I'm like, look, if we go down 17-7 to at the half, this is a completely different ball game. But the fact that we were managed to stop them at the buzzer, even, too, when they got the ball back, we had that play where just... Every time I watch Chase Winovich, I'm just like, my God, I fall more and more in love with the guy as a player. Like, he just does what he's asked to. I know he was in the doghouse for a bit after the San Francisco game, but if we get this defense going forward, I think we are still knocking on the door of that playoffs, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but I actually have to cheer for the New York Jets to win this coming Sunday. But Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's almost a little too little too late, right? Like, they are they just lack consistency. They can't seem to play complementary football. One week the defense is great, and the offense struggles, and then it's just the complete opposite the next week. Uh, but they look like they're trending in the right direction. Obviously, yesterday the offense wasn't great. Uh, Cam certainly probably one of his worst games that he's been here uh, really since the San Francisco game. He, he didn't do much for them to win, but obviously made a clutch play at the end there, You know, scampering out for a third and 15, finally eluded the pocket, made a play with his legs, and then obviously thanks to Isaiah Simmons' is kind of boneheaded play. People are feeling differently about it whether that was deserving of 15 yards or not I think uh, Cam Newton certainly hasn't been uh, the victim of too many flags in his career he's definitely taken his fair share of shots I think they, they look at it as his size but uh, luckily got the 15 yarder made a big play to Jacoby Myers spiked it game over right so um, they have a big matchup this week I think this is the Chargers another team like Houston where they've been in their games I think Justin Herbert's got what are they, 3-8? and eight? I think seven of those losses have come either down to the last possession and he's lost by seven or less points. So similar to Houston where they've kind of been in every game. They just have been unlucky and just on the wrong side of things. That's a tough team, and their record doesn't really describe 
how good of a football team they are. But uh, you're going out west for two games. There's two good teams, two good defenses. Um, this will be their season. I think if they can come back here six and seven, then you got to win out the three versus the division. Obviously, you get the Jets. You can kind of chalk that up as a win. And then you go to Miami and host Buffalo, which will be two, two bloodbath, tough games. They'll be close. Divisional games always are. Um, so you really got a worst-case scenario come out, come back from L.A. Uh, one and one. Yeah, exactly. That's my uh, belief right there. Because even too, I was jokingly telling your co-host, Pat, um, watch, we're going to beat Arizona, which we did. Then we're going to go to L.A. Like, my mind is programmed right now. We're going to lose to the Chargers, but then we're going to beat the Rams. And I'm going to go, okay, we're 6-7. and seven. And then Miami, you know what? We chalk up a win. Buffalo, I agree with you. Those are going to be two just gritty football games. Like, I think they're going to be very – the Buffalo game, which is Monday Night Football Week 16, I think is going to be very similar to the Buffalo game we saw at the beginning of the month. I can say that now because as we're recording, it's November 30th. Um, I think it's going to be a very similar game. Hopefully this time there's – for a camp, no, knock on wood, the camp doesn't fumble. Um, but if this team can get a win and a dominant win against this LA Charger team, like the sky's the limit. But then I just I don't want to get my hopes up because every time it seems like I get my hopes up with this 2020 incarnation of the Pats, I'm just brought back to reality. And like I gotta take it one game at a time, any given Sunday, and look, whatever happens, happens. But this this team is they, 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 I know they're inconsistent and they sometimes don't play complimentary football, but they still they like to keep things exciting or at least have some fight in games. Yeah, they, they seemingly play up uh, against their competition and then typically play down to it, right? When you look at their losses, Denver, they had no business losing that game. That's a game they should win. Houston, I know, like I said earlier, I think that team is a lot better than what their record showed. They're obviously 4-7 and seven now uh, after starting, was it 0-5, 0-6, something like that. Um, those are games that they should win. And then you look at Baltimore, Arizona, you know, even Seattle, where that kind of came down to literally a game of inches right there. Those are games where you kind of look at the schedule preseason and go, ah, that's a tough game. They, they could lose those. You kind of pencil those in as an L. Um, but seemingly, I don't know if it's Cam or just the overall mindset of the team, whenever they face a superior opponent, somebody that maybe they're underdogs against or kind of will be a tough game, they usually play their best football. Uh, and that's what's so frustrating about them this year. It's like if you didn't blow some of these games early on in the year where you should have won, we'd be talking a whole different team, a whole different kind of mindset heading into the last month of the season. Exactly. And also, too, I just wanted to look up the spread for this coming Sunday. And right now, it's uh, the over-under is at 47, and it's a pick. It's So basically, they have this a close football game where I yeah, they started out as one-and-a-half-point underdogs. It's similar, same thing to the Houston game. They opened up as two-point underdogs and ended up the sh- I think it shifted to like a, the Patriots were a two point or three point favorite I'm sure that line will change but very similar vibes to to that Houston game oh 100% um, I also think I saw it too earlier I think we're getting Kevin Harlan calling the game so that's always a treat to hear his voice oh yeah for sure yeah I have a special place in my heart for him because uh, as a Raptors fan on a different sport subject he called the Kawhi shot and that's just Something else I can talk about for days, but I won't hear because obviously we're talking Patriots. Ryan's, I'm going to assume a Celtics fan, um, but no. With this, uh, with this Patriots game, man, I like. I look at yesterday's, and for everyone saying that the Isaiah Simmons, like I said this yesterday with you guys, he had not one but two bad penalties. Like remember when Chase Young said um, the rookie mistake roughing the passer against Matt Stafford in the uh, Washington Detroit game? 
Those yep. two hits were rookie mistakes on Isaiah Simmons' part, which sure. when you're a rookie of that caliber, like, man, they, uh, I was going to say too, that those are just costly penalties. Like, yesterday, like, if you follow me on Twitter, you can see I went from tweet, basically tweeting that, like, uh, upside-down smiley face, which is basically, like, you take a deep breath and you're like, oh, good Lord, we're going to lose. And then Zane Gonzalez misses that field goal, and I'm like, okay, we have a chance. And But as soon as that... Um, I think as soon as that unnecessary roughness penalty happened, I was like, I think we're winning this game. That was my mindset. Just because, look, when penalty bat, it's like the Super Bowl 51 game. Like, I knew when we were in overtime, we had a good chance of winning, especially after the coin toss. But I remember when Martellus Bennett had the ball in the end zone, caught it, and the um, there was a pass interference called against Atlanta. As soon as that penalty was called, I was like, there's no way we're losing this football game. And I had the same mentality yesterday. Two obviously different football games, but just I wanted to show you where I was coming from with the whole penalties change the course of football games uh, mantra. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a it's a tough call there, right? I mean, he's I think he's giving himself up. He's obviously scampering out of bounds considering the circumstances. No timeouts, trying to save the clock. Got the first down, uh, so I do agree with the call. Um, Obviously, it's a quarterback, so they're going to take care of him, and, and they don't want those hits in the league, especially, like I said, two quarterbacks. So, um, yeah, I mean, rookie mistakes. I mean, he's a fantastic player. He won them the game in Seattle with that unbelievable pick. Um, they kind of sold the blitz and then dropped, like, five guys into coverage and, you know, completely tripped Russell Wilson that ended up selling, um, you know, he intercepted the ball and set up the game-winning field goal in overtime. And then you have a play like that where you kind of cost your team. So that's typical for a rookie, but... I mean, he's a chess piece. That's a guy who came out of Clemson who played literally everywhere. He's a chess piece on defense. He played cornerback, slot corner, nickel, dime back, linebacker, D-end. I mean, he's a, you know, I like to say a modern-day kind of defensive guy where you can put him anywhere on the defense and succeed. Uh, super athletic. Um, but, yeah, those mistakes are going to come no matter how good you are. Exactly. And um, also the other thing I want to point to with Adam Butler, I just remember the play where I don't, I, I'm blanking on the center's name for the Arizona Cardinals. But, man, he just basically, that one sack on where he just, like, pushed him out of the way. And even, to made Justin Pugh just go back. And he's just like, all right, cool, I'm going to get to Kyler. Because even, to yesterday, I could tell Kyler's shoulder was not 100%. And I feel like, and even, to the fact, like, hey, Arizona's best on the, running on the outside. Everyone thought they are going to run on the outside. Bill Belichick just has this way of taking away what your best asset is. So, man, besides his, the challenge he had on the DeAndre Hopkins catch... I think he had an A-plus coaching effort. And I know Bill Belichick, one of the greatest coaches of all time, but there are some times where coaches have good coach games and bad coach games. But when you put it in the category of how well-coached he was, that was a good, well-coached game yesterday by Bill. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like I said, his, his game plan from the start, they did a good job containing him, uh, got their arms up. Obviously, small guy, so how can you throw it over a six foot three lineman when their hands are up, too? It makes it a lot difficult. But I thought they did a good job not overcommitting. Um, the Butler play, he was double team, just, um, you know, beat a double team, just blew right through and, and a big sack on third long. I think the Patriots ended up scoring the next drive and I think tying the game. Uh, and then I tweeted out another clip of Josh Uche doing a fantastic job. Kind of had Kyler wrapped up. So you think that's a guy who you, you, you have him. It's just a one-on-one. You think you can get him, you overcommit, he makes a move and then he turns it into a 15 yard gain. He did a great job not overcommitting. Um, kind of funneling him to the sidelines, and then obviously he laid it out of bounds. Uh, Winovich ended up getting credit for the sack. So little things like that. I thought they were super prepared. Uh, certainly defensively, I think 
Um, the one issue there is when your offense plays that poorly, it's hard to win in the National Football League. Like how they won yesterday was great. Obviously, great to see from a defense bounce back from a performance like Houston. Uh, but you, it's hard to have them play like that, you know, game after game. You really need that complimentary. Uh, it's like I said, you know, the defense wasn't great versus Houston. Deshaun Watson certainly was really good, picked them apart, put some balls in some tight windows, and the offense was certainly much better. And then you flip the script the next week, it's the complete opposite. You end up sweeping out a win. Um, but they were lucky, right? I mean, Cam Newton with that terrible turnover um, with four minutes to go. He, he just one-on-one, Drake or Patrick basically – Ran the route for Demir Bird. He read that perfectly. Cam had no business throwing that ball. Uh, so certainly got bailed out there. Um, and, and, you know, obviously Zane Gonzalez missed the kick. And then he got a, a second chance and made, made that well worth it with that, uh, like I said, third and 14. Kind of thought the game would be going overtime, made a big play, and, and here we are. <laughs> yeah, there was that. I, I forgot about that till now. There was that one run where he had on third down where I'm like, oh, shit, we're done. And then he converts. I'm like... Cam is literally this guy where he'll make you go. He's like Philip Rivers this year. He'll have a play where you're going, "What are you doing?" To, "Oh my God, I love you. Keep doing that." Like, yeah. Oh, and also, to one other thing, I want to talk about yesterday because this guy honestly has had a really tough year. But man, James White had probably his best game of the year this year because I think obviously everyone's going through hardships here. But man, no one's gone more through more hardships than him because he hasn't been the same because his dad obviously died in that horrific car accident about two months ago and for him just to kind of step up in that role and have a good game yesterday man I felt really not just good for the team but I felt really good for him as a person and a football player yeah only five carries for 18 yards two big touchdowns I think both of them broke a tie or uh, sorry tied the game up at some big key moments only had one catch for for negative one yards uh interesting right I mean I thought going into the year I thought this might be his biggest year yet, uh, obviously heading into free agency at the end of the year. And I thought, um, you know, he'd be that guy that could really help Cam out, be that security blanket, easy completions that we saw with Brady. I thought they'd lean heavily on White heading into the year to kind of make Cam's transition and job a lot easier early on in the year. But we really haven't seen it. Like you said, I don't know how much of that is to do with kind of what's going on off the field. Obviously, super tragedy felt awful for him that's tough to go through especially week two in the season right when you're kind of kicking things off and getting into stride uh but i'm sure we'll see a lot more of him than we have in 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 recent weeks obviously with burkhead kind of going out jj taylor seemingly can't be active so uh now with michelle active and harris looking like he's the lead back you'll they'll filter in white there as well but like i said i thought he'd be a bigger piece of the offense just because he can serve as like you know, kind of can security blanket, let things get going, kind of get him comfortable um, early on in games. But we haven't really seen that much. But big, big two touchdowns for him. I know he was itching for a breakout game, and what better time to do it than yesterday when they really needed it. Exactly. Like, I know, like, his yardage wasn't the best, but it's the fact that, look, you can get in the end zone. Like, there was that fourth and two where I'm like, okay, where are we going? But, man, we basically – we you know how two weeks ago we beat Baltimore at that at their game? We did the Arizona yesterday because both James White touchdowns were runs to the outside. Like, that was just something I, like, I, I'm just thinking things on the fly because two weeks ago, Harris literally grounded, pounded Baltimore into the ground in that, man, I feel still feel bad for those security guards having to work at Gillette Stadium that night, just stand out there in the pouring rain and they're only in their ponchos. But the fact that Bill just flips the script and beats teams that, like, beats them at their own game, man, just, like, adds... Oh, like even even yesterday too, when people were telling me like, "Oh, you guys, but you barely beat the Jets, and you did this." I'm like, "Hey, 
I'll take a win no matter how bad it is. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, it's it's an interesting year, right? I mean, I, I would I can sit here and say I don't I don't think the playoffs are necessarily realistic. Obviously, there is a slim chance that they and they're not out of it yet. Um, and if, I guess if twenty twenty is kind of taught us anything, it's kind of expect the unexpected. So I would not be surprised if they ran the table here and got in at nine and seven, ten and six, if they even won out. Uh, but that's a big win for a team. And I know after Baltimore, that was kind of that win where it's like, all right, this is what they needed. They're kind of trending in the right direction. They played really well both defensively, offensively, special teams-wise, and then they go and lay an egg in Houston. But then they followed up again yesterday, masterful performance from the defense. If they can get into L.A. and just continue to keep this train rolling, who knows what happens, right? I mean, like I said, in 2020, I would not expect would not be surprised if they finished seven and nine, eight and eight, and were picking in the top fifteen, or if they ran the table and, and squeaked in as a wild card team and even won a couple games. Uh, but it's interesting, yeah. I mean, obviously, then you kind of get into, you know, next year and what their plan is at quarterback. I, I still don't think they know. Um, and you know, it's one week. Cam Newton looks great, and uh, you know, you think he should be the guy going forward, at least the bridge guy for the next two three years. And then you see stuff yesterday. Where it's like, oh, maybe we should rethink this. So it's it's so interesting. There's so many moving pieces, so many questions to be, um, you know, answered in the next coming months. But I think that's what makes it intriguing. Something we haven't really dealt with the last, you know, 20 years, at least my lifetime. Exactly, in my lifetime too. Like you said, you and I both were both 90s guys, so we know, like, hey, all we know sure. is number 12 and championships and making deep runs in <laughs> January. But look, like I'm in the same boat. I like if hey, even if we don't make the playoffs, we still get to play a football game in January. Um, but you're right, like, there's, like, part of me thinks, hey, they could bring back Cam, they could go out and get someone, like, I don't know, Jimmy Garoppolo, like, I'm only throwing that name out there because I know San Francisco can get out of that contract scot-free this year, not having to pay him any amount of money, uh, Bill can take him kind of on a, I don't know if Bill would pay him the $27 million that he's making, or 29 one of the two, that he's making with San Francisco. No, if he if he gets let go, he ain't, he's not going to be demanding that, but... It is it is interesting. Like what happened with Cam this year is a complete anomaly. That will never happen again. Where you get a proven NFL starter, former MVP. Obviously Jimmy's not, but a proven NFL guy. He's played in the Super Bowl. Um, you know, been a franchise quarterback, so we say, for that cheap. I think what happened with COVID and Cam's health and not really being able to get a workout in because of the circumstances going on around the world, he kind of fell in their lap, right? And then now I think. People are saying the twenty to twenty-five million dollar range, maybe even thirty. That's just kind of what it costs right now for a quarterback. I can't see the Patriots going there. Uh, I do think, just considering their circumstances, obviously, I'm not sure if you knew people who follow me. I was a huge Stidham guy, still am. Uh, thought he'd kind of take over the reins this year, and then obviously this happened. I thought, you know, heading into the year, maybe they just felt he wasn't ready yet, and that you know, Cam was a one-year thing here. He can learn under Brady and Cam. What a great opportunity that is for his future. Who knows what his future holds here? Who knows what Cam Newton's future holds here? Uh, will they address it in the draft? Who knows? Um, but, yeah, it's interesting. Like you said, I, I think if you bring Cam back or even a guy like Jimmy or another veteran guy who will probably become available just considering that that's seemingly what happens every year with the draft and somebody takes a quarterback that, you know, we're not expecting them to, uh, it'll probably cost them in normal circumstances for any of those guys. I think between the – 13 at the minimum to the 20 at the max. And I don't think the Patriots will go any higher than that considering um, they have a lot of pieces elsewhere. 
Oh, no, exactly, for sure. I just wanted to throw Jimmy's name out there because um, when oh, San Francisco beat... Pardon me? I'd love him back. Oh, no, I'd love him back, too, but I know that Bill Bill never wanted to get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo three years ago, and then there's all that stuff about apparently, oh, Brady went behind uh, Brady went behind Belichick's back to go to Kraft and say, don't let this happen, but in reality, what happened was John Lynch called asking about Brady, and then Bill just said, and then it was just, hey, the unfortunate circumstance of... Um, hey, let's. Uh, I'll give you Jimmy instead because Bill wasn't willing to let go of him. But I know in a perfect world, Bill wanted to hold on to both guys. Um, I only mentioned his name like he said too because I also remember. I'm not sure if I said this before because oh, my mind's going to a million different places right now. Basically, I remember about a month ago when San Francisco was here, whooped us at home. Bill actually talked to Jimmy, and you apparently don't ever see Bill talking to the opposing quarterback pregame. So that's why I just got that motor running. The only other names I, the only I was gonna say names, name I think of besides Cam, obviously, is Matt Stafford. Just because part of me has a feeling that Detroit's gonna blow it up this year, considering Galladay and Jones are free agents, and they just fired Patricia and Bob Quinn. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I mean, he's obviously has a huge cap hit. That's a huge buyout for them. I don't really know too much in detail his contract situation. Um, that's a guy I'd love here. I, I think he's certainly underappreciated throughout his career uh but it's a, i think it's a long shot just considering his financials and, and what it would cost them to kind of cut ties with him they'd be paying a lot of money for him to play for another team and i don't know if that's the best structure for them if you're trying to blow it up but who knows like i said uh veteran guys kind of come and go um and in super unexpected who had thought cam newton would be here last year if he's talked to us you know if we talked a year ago uh at that price and how long he was a free agent right so a lot of things happen, uh, usually around the draft, and I guess we'll have to wait and see who's available and what their plan is. I, I would, I don't know if Bill wants another bridge guy. Um, so if he's committed to Cam, I think it'd be for the next two or three years. Um, yeah, I was just looking up Stafford's right now. In 2017, he signed a five-year, 135 million dollar extension with 92 guaranteed. So I, I just threw Matt Stafford's name out there just because I was like, look, I had a feeling someone would take him just because he's starting to be he asked about his future in Detroit and he's uncertain and I thought too that he's a guy that's been really underappreciated especially with the well, obviously we know the Lions organization's a bit of a clown show um part of me thinks they're gonna go the they could go the route of hey if the 49ers get rid of Garoppolo they could go that route or the route they go of is you know what keep Cam sign him for maybe two to three years and then draft like my opinion I would love to have Kyle Trask as the quarterback or even to there's the BYU kid. I know who Pat. I yeah. know he doesn't watch. He's big on Mac Jones was another name I said, but Alabama quarterbacks besides Tua and potential. I I know he transferred to Oklahoma, but we'll still count Jalen Hurts. Alabama quarterbacks haven't really panned out once they got into the NFL. Look at Greg McElroy. Look at AJ McCarron. Like Alabama yeah, quarterbacks the last a, few years. A different. I, I yeah. do I do see that. I think it's scheme fit too right i don't know if those guys were put in the best situation to succeed uh but for those guys yeah to to be honest with you when it's all said and done if zach wilson continues to kind of up his draft stock uh i've seen some mock drafts dane brugler of the athletic uh predicted wilson would go too ahead of, of ahead of field so i think uh kind of heading into the year you could cross off trevor lawrence and justin fields to the patriots like no chance I think uh, Zach Wilson's kind of closing that in, too, that I think those three guys will be going in the top five to six picks. Uh, and obviously the Patriots aren't bad enough to get in there. Uh, a guy you said, like, Mac Jones, yeah, I mean, that's a, a flyer you could take. He'll probably be a late first-round pick, maybe an early, early day two pick. 
uh, interesting there. Obviously, the, the, the connection with Saban, if they'd go that route, I think he's upped his draft stock a lot better as a prospect than I thought. Uh, certainly having you know, a masterful year down in Alabama. Trask scares me a little bit um, just because of his age, a little bit of an injury history. He's the redshirt senior, so I believe he's 24. He'd be 24. Similar to Barrow, I think he'd be 24 and a half by week one next year. Uh, obviously, still young, right? But um, that could be a guy that's just a schematically a great fit for Florida. Um, obviously, has Kyle Pitts, who will be uh, arguably a top 10 pick come April, that he's just feeding him the ball constantly. So uh, I haven't really dove in too, too much on him. I've followed a lot of Wilson and, and Mac Jones. But yeah, I still think they don't address this position in the first round. Uh, right, because I think there's a lot of holes that they they realize. Linebacker, wide receiver, tight end. Even I know you took the two guys last year, but not very promising starts for them to their career. So if a guy like Pitts is available and they feel he's a guy that uh, can certainly help them move the chains, they'll jump on that. But um, like I said, if you're committed to Cam uh, before the draft, which I think they'll have that all worked out prior to the draft, um, you know they might take a guy late. Uh, but I don't think that'd be a first round thing just because there's other areas to um, kind of assess earlier. Like I said, wide receiver, linebacker, even tight end, maybe a little safety off uh, defensive line. Their fronts have been struggled this year. Uh, and then you kind of, with you committing to Cam or another veteran guy for the next couple of years, you can address that position earlier um, as you get to the end of that contract. No, I agree with that. I just want to throw those names out at quarterback. Like, I, I, for sure. I obviously, I know. There's different areas of need. Like there was that report last week that came out about High Tower retiring, which we do kind of need to fill that middle linebacker void. Um, my other big concern for this offseason is getting Joe Tooney to a long term deal. Like I know the Patriots have money to play with, but man, him and Andrews are the vocal points of this offensive line. Um, receiver, obviously, we're getting it done with what we got. It's just there's certain like you're right. There's certain pieces where we got to address it. I really hope that. Asai can come back and or Asai, I'm blanking on I'm Asiasi Asiasi. Asi. Um, <laughs> I said a protein bowl. Um, Asiasi and yeah. Keen. Hopefully they can make those strides next year because like I know their 2020s were kind of write offs. Um, my only concern really is just with with the offensive line right now. Besides Andrews and Tooney, man, Michael Owen who's been our best rookie this year, hands yeah, down. Yeah, that's a guy who can swing, right? I mean, yeah. if they if Tooney's kind of demanding big money, which he certainly could on the open market. Uh, because he's arguably been the best and most consistent guard throughout football really since he's entered the league. That's a guy who you could shift him in the middle there and play guard a little bit. I know he was a guard in college. Uh, he's played some right tackle. If you feel win, who I think when he's on the field is a dominant left tackle, certainly athletic, gets out, can pull, can contribute in all areas of the game. You can move him in, move on when you to left tackle. That's a swing guy who they love. Um, so I think that's interesting what their plan is there of how they'll attack Dooney. But I do I do think that offensive line is certainly um, on the back burner. They don't really need to assess that. Justin Heron, who they drafted in the sixth round, it, it has been good when he's played. Um, and then you have Andrews as a free agent, Dooney. Uh, you have Shaq Mason locked up. So I think um, keeping that core together is certainly important. But if one of them goes typically Dooney, you have some flexibility there to, to move some guys in and out. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be a very... I, for the first... Obviously, last year, I said this to Pat last week, I woke up to not the best news on St. Patrick's Day, which was my first day off of work from the lockdown. I was told the day before, hey, don't come in tomorrow. And I woke up to my phone being blown up saying... And I opened Instagram. What's the first thing I see? 
This long uh, thank Brady. you from TV. The long thank you, no, from Brady. And I'm just like, man. And then I'm watching NFL Network all day, and I see Mike Giardi every, like, 15 minutes. I'm like, why am I watching this? Um, yeah. But, no, this offseason is going to be just as important as last because, obviously, last was the news of, is Brady going to stay? Is Brady going to go? This offseason is more of how can we improve going forward because there's a lot of people out there. Like, I had the few, like, obviously, you and I, you live closer to the Patriots than I do. I'm north of the border. You're south of the border in mass directly. I had to fuel a lot of, uh, not fuel, I had to put out a lot of fires because there was people messaging me saying, oh, hey, the lead, like, the, um... Patriots had their wonderful run. They're like the Red Wings now, like in a dark alley. And I'm like, they're not there yet. They're not that bad. They're in that weird purgatory where they're not good enough to contend for a Super Bowl, but they're not bad enough to have a top 10 pick. They're in like that. Yeah, that, that was my that weird middle. time. And obviously last offseason they were handcuffed mildly by the cap. Tom Brady on his way out the door left him. I think it was a $13.5 million dead cap hit. Um, they didn't really start to see that cap open up till. You know, Hightower opted out, Cannon opted out, and, and Chung, who have, you know, substantially high cap hits, that's when that started to open up right right after training camp, right before training camp, when, you know, offseason and player movement, obviously, with COVID going on, was, was past us. Uh, but this year, obviously, I think they kind of knew they'd be in this situation. I think it's an opportunity for them where they weren't rebuilding, uh, more so reloading, but they're kind of somewhere in the middle of that, right? Like you said, not necessarily contending for a Super Bowl like we're used to for 20 years, but still contending for a playoff spot, kind of roll the dice, see what happens. That's why they brought Cam Newton in. I think they felt they could at least compete, obviously, in that division that they've owned the last 20 years. Uh, but in this year, with more uh, a ton of casualties, I think going into the offseason, they'll have the third most. I'm sure that'll that'll move with guys you know, potentially getting cut or, or like you said, Hightower retiring, if that, that turns out to be true. Um, they'll have a lot more flexibility in terms of free agents and, and being able to bring some guys in and pay some big money this time. Oh, 100%. Like, even to that, the Hightower news, I really hope that's not true. But I'm just looking at teams, like, they're kind of in that kind of where the Colts were last year, like that middle-of-the-pack mentality. Like, I feel like if they do, don't if they miss the playoffs, they're picking, I think, no higher than, like, 12 or 13 somewhere to let's like 17 to 18 they're gonna be that middle middle of the pack first round which there's everyone out there jokingly saying oh watch bill's gonna move down into like the 20s and i'm like oh good lord like i on that's the thing i don't know what to expect whether it's bill drafting whether it's nike drafting we don't know who's gonna be drafting this year for them but they have a lot more cap to open up the stefan gilmore stuff's a very interesting development of what happens there uh jc jackson's got to get paid because obviously he's had yeah, one hell of a that's season interesting that you noted um, with Gilmore, right? Because yeah. they they seemingly just groom number one corners, right? So I look at the situation similar to what we saw with Rebus in 2014, where you had an elite cornerback, uh, you know, turning 30. I think Rebus was 31 or 32 at the time, coming off a career year. Obviously, Gilmore isn't playing defensive player of the year worthy, but he's still, I think, the best corner in the league. Obviously, up there, top three for sure this year. Um, you have a guy under him, similar to Rebus, when they had with Butler. Right, that um, kind of that number one corner. Uh, then the same thing. Butler was due to get paid. Um, Bill went out and got Gilmore, and now here it is again. Uh, they have J.C. Jackson, who's been an elite cornerback. I think taking a backseat in terms of you know being recognized around the league just because of Gilmore. He's underneath Gilmore. He can certainly be paid like a number one. I think that's where similar to Revis guy north of 30 demanding big money you move on from that open up some cap space pay your young corner not as much number one corner money 
Uh, and then you do the same thing with Jackson, and I'm sure they'll, they'll keep grooming that number one corner. That's one thing Bill doesn't get a lot of credit for, which he should, uh, is their ability to mold that cornerback. And I think it started when they brought Akeem Tlaib in, I think, back in 2012. Um, they've really had a true number one every single year since then. Yeah, and even two that year, because they had Revis on one side, and then they had Brandon Browner on the other side of the ball. Uh, with I believe McCourty and I think Chung was on the team at that time at safety. That was pro. That was yep. one of our best defenses in total. Was that 2014 season? That's not pre 2000s. I always consider the pre 2000s defense with like Willie McGinnis, Mike Vrabel, Rodney Harrison, Richie Richard Seymour. Like I just yep. list off a bunch of potential Hall of Famers um, and Patriot Hall of Famers on that list. Um, that's the biggest thing with that because you're right. Like, look, they can obviously move on. They have if they have the trust that Jackson can be that shutdown corner. You try to trade Gilmore because he has, does have that one more year left on his deal. Maybe try to get a first or a second for him. If Bill can... Because that's the other thing, too, like you said, Bill doesn't get credit for is building up corners. For everyone going, oh, he doesn't draft... Like, how could you draft Nikhil Harry over, like, A.J. Brown or Metcalf? If you go look at Bill's drafts from the second round to the seventh round over even the last five years, just some of the guys he's picked up. It's like like Dietrich Wise Jr., uh, even Kyle Duggar's getting in that territory now of great player... Chase Winovich, like, there's all these guys on the defense who, the only one I can think of that was a first-round pick, obviously, I believe Gilmore was, was Devin McCourty. Yep, Hightower, he had uh, a draft too. where he got Hightower and Chandler Jones, I believe, in the same round. 2012. First-rounders. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, when you have that much success, people are obviously going to reach and try to find some things wrong with you. He certainly missed it some, some key spots, right? I think Nikhil Harry is certainly trending towards probably one of the biggest draft busts just because the first wide receiver taken from Belichick in the first round, uh, and then you look at the guys after him. But, yeah, I mean, for those stories, there's a million success stories. I, I, you're not going to have be a perfect drafter. No team is. I think the Saints and Pittsburgh have been two of the best drafters within the last five years, but... Um, the problem is that they, they never really have that sexy pick, right? They have guys that buy in, right? Like Winovich is, um, you know, you get him in the third round, uh, great player, but is he a, a well-known name? No, right? Like it, people kind of get locked in on that, and typically wide receivers, they've never really had a, a true number one sexy name, big name guy, and the only one they've really had has been Randy Moss. Uh, Wes Welker was traded for, uh, I believe, a seventh rounder, Deion Branch was a was a second round pick, um, so never really a big name guy. I think that's what people kind of get lost in is, is looking at the guys after. But I hate playing the shoulda, coulda, woulda game. Uh, I think his draft is um, it's super overblown that take that he, he can't draft. Put it that way. Oh no, I agree a hundred percent. Like he can't draft. That's why I said he's so good at finding those second to seventh round picks, even to like guys like David Andrews, Joe Tooney, uh, Michael Owenu was a sixth round pick. Like, think about that. Twenty, like two thousand draft a. We may have drafted a quarterback out of Michigan, sixth round pick, who turned out to be one of the greatest of all time, or actually not one of the greatest of all time. And twenty years later, we draft what looks like one of the best offensive linemen in Michael Owenu in the sixth round from Michigan. So, man, Bill has a knack for drafting good sixth rounders from Michigan. Um, oh yeah, that was just one thing I want to add up because you're right though. Like even to it goes back to you. I don't know how you're going to take this, but like. In 2017, when Trubisky went second, Mahomes went 10th, and now everyone says, oh, you should have drafted. Well, three years ago, I don't think anyone expected Mahomes to be this, like, MVP, potential second-time MVP this year, which I think he's and trending in that direction. great. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from him. He's a generational talent. I think 
trending towards being the most talented quarterback of all time. I know yeah. we're getting a little off topic, but he fell into a playoff team that went 12-4 and four the year before. He got molded under Alex Smith for a year, fell into Andy Reid, who's had so much success with quarterbacks. Obviously, he had guys like Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, Kareem Hunt was there for a little bit, uh, Sammy Watkins. So he was kind of put into a situation right away for him to succeed where some of these other guys, they take quarterbacks early and they don't really address other personnel uh, spots on the field and they, they don't really f- succeed. And that, I think that was the biggest reason um, I think they shouldn't take a f- quarterback in the first round because you're almost forced to start him. It comes with a lot of hype and a lot of, you know, conversation around him. And then you put him out there and you don't address the personnel around him. How is he going to succeed? And I think that's too why maybe they didn't go to spit him. I, I think a lot of people have closed the book on him. I'm still holding out hope. Maybe they looked at it this year and said, if we throw a second-year guy in there with no NFL experience with kind of these guys around him, it's a recipe for disaster. And when you do that to a young quarterback, you ruin him. Look at Trubisky, you know, a lot of these stories around the league uh, where if you can have a guy kind of mold him and, and address other areas on your team to help him improve, it, it makes that transition a lot smoother. You know what, exactly. I just wanted to bring that up quickly just because, like, how everyone goes and says, oh, you don't know if everyone says, oh, Ryan Pace was such an idiot, how could you not draft him? I'm just saying... That's the thing with drafting that's so risky is, look, these people could be good, but like you said, you just, Mahomes was put into the right situation. Like, and even too, there was that article yesterday that came out, Arian saying, oh, hey, if, uh, like, if, I believe he was with Arizona that year still, and he was like, oh, if we had him at uh, 13, we would have got him. I'm like, yeah, everyone right now is saying, yeah, if we had the chance to draft Mahomes, of course you're going to. It's just, there's, the only two teams I'll take credit for for actually going after him and actually saying legitimately they would have drafted him is Kansas City because obviously they made the big move up to get him and the New Orleans Saints were sitting there at 11. I honestly do think that if Sean Payton had the chance to draft him, he would because even that's another team too, like you said, who's drafted well. Because imagine Mahomes with like Kamara, Thomas, like, oh my God, like they're good now, but like they'd probably be 11-0 right now if he was on their team. Getting off topic, I know. It's just something I wanted to add in. (laughs) <laughs> no, you're good. You're good, man. Yeah, all good. But um, I just want to shift the focus, obviously, because like like we say, the draft, we're going to be talking about this forever. No matter, hey, we make the playoffs, we miss the playoffs, the offseason is going to be a huge focus for Patriot fans everywhere. Like, obviously, that's like usually it's just, hey, filling in the holes. But now it's going to be more of, hey, how are we going to do now that's going to impact us for 21, 22, and so on. But just shifting gears back to this coming Sunday, obviously, we have the little trip out to Cali where... There was that report that came out today. Someone from the Boston Globe, I believe Jim McBride, was saying how we're going to be staying at UCLA. And I was just like, this is the biggest no, like, like obvious, like, thanks, Captain Obvious. No offense to him. It's just, did anyone really expect the Patriots to play the Chargers, come back to the East Coast, and then go back to the West Coast? I don't. No, no, I think they're staying out there. I think beginning of the year, um, there was something out there where they were going to make them travel. But with it being such a quick turnaround and... Uh, I mean, they'd fly home Sunday, wouldn't get home till Monday morning, and then have to turn around and fly again on Tuesday. It just doesn't make much sense for them to, to make those two trips. So uh, I think it helps them. It limits travel, kind of gets them used to that time zone difference. Sunday will certainly be a tough game, and then you turn around and face face the Rams, who are getting it done, uh, certainly defensively. That should be a tough game for them. I, um, just because I have you here now, and like we said, I'm going to get you back on at some point, Ryan, because it's been a blast talking to you about Patriots. Um, the one thing I'm going to say about this game, like the two games right now is I wouldn't shock me if 
Sun, this coming Sunday's game is a very similar score to Houston, like in that 27 to 20 range or like that 24 to 20. But then this coming Thursday, I honestly think like you're going to have a very low scoring game against the Rams. I think the Thursday game is going to be a very defensive battle just because with both offenses, you don't know what you're going to get every week. You don't like with Cam. Cam could be get the job done and play well, or he can have those moments where we're looking at him being like, what are you doing? And then it's the same with Jared Goff, how Jared Goff went into Tampa last week, looked great, and he looked shaky against the San Francisco, a depleted 49ers team. So that's just my take on it. But if you had to ask me the best way to beat the Chargers, if we can just, man, get to Justin Herbert, you know what, disrupt him, and also to limit Joey Bosa's aggressiveness, I think those are our two big keys to victory this coming Sunday. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, they have, obviously, they're missing win. He went down to the Illuminor. I think did a pretty good job yesterday. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's tough. There'll be a tough matchup heading out there. Like I said, they've played teams real tough. They give Buffalo a lot of problems. Um, you know, had a lot of games kind of come down to the wire, almost beat some really good teams, uh, Kansas City being one of them. Um, and and been in, in, in every game they've played in. So I think it's a t- another game where it kind of comes down to the last possession and seemingly – uh, that's kind of how it's been when the Patriots haven't got, they've only got blown out once, right? I mean, every game it seems like has come down to that last possession, tie game, down three, with four or so minutes to go. I think you'll see a similar to that. Like you said, kind of limit Joey Bosa, do some double teams on him, make sure you know he doesn't cause too much disruption in there. Uh, but continue to kind of find your identity as a football team. I know it's tough. We're talking about this heading into week 13, but... Um, you know, really just got to take it one week at a time. Roll the dice, um, continue to get better, uh, and, and hope that you can kind of string together some games here where your defense plays just well enough um, and, and causes problems and your offense can get timely plays like they saw on Sunday. Oh, 100%. You know what? Just getting the, the right plays off at the right time. Uh, I don't think we can either run the ball or throw the ball, like, rely on one or the other. I think, you know what, we just have to do those, like, quick just like plays just do that mix like throw everything at them um I obviously don't think this game is going to be like a lot like the last time we played the Chargers because that was with Tom Brady and we realized that they were playing man and zone the entire game Brady saw that and immediately said okay this is how you're gonna play okay we're gonna expose you and that's what happened we hung 41 on them um Part of me wants to say we're going to win, but part of me just wants to go into it being like, oh, we're going to lose because we're expected to, and then we win, and by this time Sunday night, I'm happy as a clam, or I come on here being like, oh, good Lord, we have to beat the Rams. Like it's, I think if we win Sunday, it makes Thursday less stressful, but still stressful to the point of we got to win. Yeah, I mean, that's just where they're at now, right? Being at 5-6, and six, um, looking up here. Um, at some teams that are seven and four ahead of you, obviously you have the tiebreaker on Buffalo, uh, Baltimore, Vegas, and Miami, who they'll play again, obviously. But yeah, you gotta win. You gotta win Sunday. Um, then you know you basically. I went into Arizona saying they had to win out um, to get in to have a shot. Obviously, it didn't make much sense because they had five losses at the, or six losses at the time. Ten and six are guaranteed, but you drop one more, um, it, it's no question win out. Right, so when you have some tough games coming up, you got the Rams and then Buffalo and Miami. Those are some games that can kind of swing differently in different ways. So, yeah, it starts Sunday. You lose that game. Um, it's going to be real, real tough for them to find their way into the playoffs. So, 
you get a win, like you said, kind of takes the stress off. But I think with those two tough divisional games at the end of the year, it almost makes these two must-win games. But like I said earlier, you come back one and one, you still got a chance, you still got a, a, an opportunity to to play three divisional teams who you know very well. Obviously, like I said, the Jets, um, you can kind of pen that one in as a win. I don't think they're going to win a game this year. But with Miami and Buffalo coming up, um, they need they need these they need these games. Oh, one hundred percent. Because there's one game on the schedule coming up. Because even too, I was looking ahead of Miami's schedule. I know they have the Bengals this coming Sunday, but after that, they play the Chiefs, the Patriots, obviously, and then there's that Week 16 Saturday night game they have with the Raiders. Which, if the Patriots can win two of the next three, or even best case scenario, the next three games, and they're sitting at eight and six. That game on the Saturday night, because obviously the Week 16, the Patriots play Monday. Like my eyes will be glued to that game because look, if whoever loses that game, the Patriots just can leapfrog. And that's the one thing I want to say too, just because like Miami's got a tough schedule down the stretch. They also have Buffalo Week 17, and then the Raiders too. Obviously, they played the Jets this coming Sunday, which they'll probably win. But then again, they got their asses kicked by the Broncos. Not the Broncos, the um, Falcons. Falcons yesterday. And then they still have to play the Colts and the Dolphins, and I believe one other team I'm blanking on. Who, oh, then the Chargers and the Broncos. So with those Colts and uh, Dolphins games, like the there's just all these teams where every team that's still in the hunt, you don't know what you're going to get out of them every week. Like for example, like Dolphins, Ravens, who are obviously dealing with COVID right now, who now play at 3:40 on Wednesday. Thank you very much, COVID. Um, and the um, Raiders and the Patriots, like all four teams, are just Pandora's box, in my opinion. Yeah, it'll be a dogfight for those last couple spots. Obviously, they expanded the playoff this year to seven teams, so this yeah. is one year where we're thankful for that, right? Yeah. Um, and only one team gets the bye, but yeah, it'll be a dogfight. It's going to come down to every Sunday, um, like I said in the article. Patriots got to handle their business, but they also need some help around the league. And with the way the year's going and kind of those – the inconsistency, really, of the teams kind of in that 5-7, to 5-8 range. Um, they're going to get some help. They're going to get some help. Teams are going to drop late games uh, to some bad teams. That's just what happens. But it starts with handling their own business. If they win, that's all they can control. Um, and like I said, I'm sure they'll get some help around the league as we kind of close down the year here. Exactly. Um, well, Ryan, it's been an absolute blast talking Patriots with you today. It's one of my favorite things to do. I'll talk Patriots with anyone. Like, that's the one thing I say about football compared to other sports. <laughs> is, like, with stuff like basketball, baseball, and hockey, I like to take a little bit of a break in the offseason. And, like, if I don't talk about it, it's no big deal. But, literally, I can talk, like, just football and especially Patriots football all year long. So, man, it's you're officially now a friend of the program. You're welcome. You're, you're more than welcome to come on whenever you want, whenever I'm going to – well, like I said, we'll go do you, Pat, and I one day. But it's been a blast talking to you. And for anyone on Pat's Nation out there who wants to either listen to you or read your work – where can they find you? For sure, yeah. Thanks for the, the kind words. This was a blast. Love hopping on, helping others out, and uh, talking pats like you all year round. That's the one thing. But the NFL, it's it's a 365-day calendar. There's a lot of things going on. That's what makes it so unique. But, yeah, for my work, Ryan underscore Spags on Twitter. Um, obviously, host a, a podcast with Pat, who you guys have heard. Comes out every Friday, Pat's Nation Pod. And then uh, my work is at patspublic.com. Uh, right, you know, keys to the game, preview, uh, kind of a recap on Monday, and then some opinionated pieces as well. So, love to interact with you. Shoot me a follow. Uh, love interacting with people. 
Oh, well, anyway, guys, that'll do it for this episode. Uh, thank you very much to uh, Ryan, and then I had Andy McNamara on before from Roger Sportsnet. But anyway, guys, enjoy your night, and hopefully the next time Ryan's on here, uh, we're just as happy as we are today. Uh, have a good one, everybody. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com.